What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you and your walk toward eternity. Uh, if you are a new listener, I want to invite you and encourage you to hit me up with your own questions at askfatherjosh at ascensionpress.com. You can also critique and comment me there as well. I would also like to invite you to rate us and review us on iTunes and other podcast formats. That way, other people get to find out about the show. And finally, if you can share the show on your social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, when you do this, other people are able to experience the show. And if it's a gift for you, potentially it could become a gift for them as, as well. On today's show, we're going to talk about how to respond to baptisms of children whose parents are in same-sex relationships. We're going to talk about helping our family members out with regards to understanding church teaching and dealing with overwhelming feelings of guilt. But before we get into those topics, I want to share with you a glory story. So my glory story this week is is, is cool. It's done with Ascension Press, actually, with Ascension. Uh, I, I'm working on a new book. Uh, I can't go into detail yet about what that book is on, but I can say that uh, I had a good desert day this past this past week where I was able to spend the day and just pray and write, and I was able to knock out chapter one of the new book, and uh, I'm so excited about it. I'm passionate about it, and uh, I would share more of that later, but I felt really inspired whenever I was, was working on that and spending the day with the Lord, and, uh, and as most... Of you know, sometimes when you have these beautiful experiences of God and and his insights into his word, what often comes are, are unnecessary distractions that follow from the enemy. Uh, the enemy always tries to outdo Jesus, but he would never be able to do it. But he tries, right? He tries to mock the Lord. And, and if the Lord does something big, the enemy tries to do something bigger, but God will always win. God brings good out of all the evil the enemy tries to do. And so uh, after the beautiful day of prayer and rest with the Lord and his word, Next day, I was walking down some stairs, and I slipped and I fell and I broke my my toe, and uh, and and y'all, you know, some of you have seen my feet before. You might have watched the I Will Follow video with me and Father Mike Schmitz, <laughs> that vocation video. I was a foot model. That's uh, how I was introduced to the to the world of ascension was through my feet in that opening scene when the iPhone goes off and, uh, and I get out of bed. So, uh, you know, my feet, they're not that bad looking, right? They, they're, they're pretty ordinary. But after that fall, man, my feet was looking like Mother Teresa. I had a toe hanging out over this way. And I said, oh, no, Jesus. And I know I love Mother Teresa, but I didn't want to, like, look like Mother Teresa's feet. But uh, shout out to her. She's one of my favorite saints. <laughs> I'm just joking, Mother T. Uh, so, yeah, so that happened. And, uh, and it ended up being a blessing because I went from complaining at first, which I ain't going to lie, I did complain, uh, to being able to, to take it up into prayer and to offer it up to the Lord. And, um, and, and so the Lord did bring a lot of beautiful things out of it. Another thing that happened was my phone broke. And so for those of you who've been texting me, calling me, or emailing me, I'm not ignoring you. My phone has been broke for the past week uh, because it, it, it broke uh, that day. And so, uh, yeah, so that my phone broke. So I had to let go and surrender my control. Like, um, of my comfort, you know, of, of getting around with the GPS on my phone and and having the liturgy of the hours right there on my phone and being able to text people. Like the other day, I walked in my, in my house um, after mass and I had this thought that came to my mind and I wanted to share it with a friend. So I put up my phone to share it with my friend. I realized my phone doesn't work. So I couldn't call or text him. And and uh, and then I, I felt like the Lord invited me in that, in that season to come and tell him in the, in the Adoration Chapel, like, Josh, why don't you, why don't you share that with me? And it just had me think, like, how often 
how often do we neglect God during the day? Like I know in the morning time, I'm really good with God. Like when I, in the early mornings, he and I have great time together. Uh, and I, and I try to abide him during the whole day, but sometimes I guess because of the cell phone being on me, I might be tempted. I have been tempted to just go to other people, finite people before I go to God sometimes. And so just a lot of insights have come through this little experience of experiencing this little uh, broken toe and broken phone and and God's God's graces that have abounded in in the process of, of experiencing all this stuff. So it's all been good. Glory story is that uh, God gave some great insights for the next book. The devil tries to distract, but then God brought some awesome things out of it that have just been very beautiful for my relationship with Jesus. So that's my glory story. Now, before we get to the show, let's do some follow-up feedback from previous episodes. First one comes in from Kimberly. Kimberly, your name reminds me of uh, of the Pink Power Ranger off of the Power Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Uh oh, we're in trouble. Something's coming up and it burst my bubble. Remember that movie, the old Power Rangers movie? So good. So Kimberly says this. I wanted to pass along a book recommendation to the listener who struggles with scrupulosity, the heart of perfection. How the saints taught me to trade my dream of perfect. For God's by Colleen Carroll Campbell. Yeah, she's actually a great author. I have one of her books called My Sisters of Saints. In the book, she talks about spiritual perfectionism or subconsciously thinking that if you don't do all the right things, God might love you less. She contrasted this to the true perfection that God calls us to, which is completely surrendering to him in the present moment and loving as he loves. She uses several examples from the lives of the saints who had the tendency to be scrupulous but overcame it. One in particular that stood out was St. Alphonsus Liguri. She has many suggestions on how to recognize and overcome spiritual perfectionism so that you can find freedom from this fear. There's also a prayer by Thomas Merton that challenges me to trust God and lead me down the narrow road to him. Here's the prayer. Oh, I love this prayer. Ah, I love this prayer. My This, this priest I used to go to confession to back in the day, Father Gwatz, used to always give this prayer as a penance. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear. For you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen. All right, next feedback comes in from A. A writes this, I recently listened to one of your podcasts titled Scrupulosity, Bad Confession Experiences, and Young People Leaving the Church. In it, you address a young man named Stephen who is dealing with scrupulosity, First of all, thank you for addressing the topic. Not a lot of people are familiar with the condition, and that can cause those suffering with it to feel very alone. My story is very similar to Stephen's, and while I'm not a mental health professional, I know a lot about the condition through personal experience. The things that helped me get through were spiritual direction, counseling, education, and I'm sure a whole lot of grace. Scrupulosity is often considered a form of OCD. When I first started having the irrational fear that everything I did was a sin, I felt like I was going crazy. My priest was the first one to suggest that I may have scrupulosity. 
After learning that the condition had a name, I was able to research it more. Learning that my fears were irrational and it wasn't all my fault lifted a huge weight from my shoulders. Proper counseling of spiritual direction from someone who knows about OCD is hugely important. A scrupulous mind can twist things, and without an outside voice of reason, things can easily spiral out of control. For example, if while praying an idea popped into my head, I assumed it must be from God. And if I didn't follow it, then I risked going to hell. I know this sounds strange, but at the time, even the slightest chance that something could be a sin caused me to avoid it. This became a problem when I gave up everything I enjoyed because there was a chance that maybe I was valuing it over God. I don't say this to scare anyone going through scrupulosity. It is an extremely exhausting and upsetting condition. However, there is hope. For the past three years, I've been living free of scrupulosity. While I still have occasional intrusive thoughts, I know that they are just the OCD and I don't have to worry about them. For anyone going through scrupulosity, there is hope. Get help from a knowledgeable person and research scrupulosity or pure O, OCD, as it's sometimes called. God loves you and wants you to have a full life, not one lived in constant fear. Thanks for taking the time to read this email. I rambled on a little longer than I meant to. <laughs> I know how, to, how tough this, is, this condition is, and I'm passionate about it, helping others to deal with it. Feel free to share this with Stephen or anyone else that may help. Thanks and God bless A. Yo, A, thank you so much uh, for that feedback. That is so helpful. And I, I do love that about the podcast is I think it helps people realize that we're not alone. Uh, someone may hear something on this and say, that sounds like my story. And then all of a sudden there's solidarity there. And um, we are encouraged to continue to walk because we recognize, you know what? We're not walking alone. We are all in this battle toward eternity together. All right, on to today's show. First question comes in from Daniel. Yo, what up, Daniel? Daniel, love that biblical name. Daniel writes this about baptisms of a homosexual couple's child. First of all, I love your podcast. I look forward to listening to it every week. I've always been very fond of how you truly try to respond with the love of Christ while still remaining aware of your broken human nature. I pray for you, my man. Please pray for me, too. You got it, Daniel. On to my question. It's last Sunday in my parish held a baptism for a child of a same-sex couple. While on the one hand, obviously it's not the child's fault that their parents are living in a sinful relationship and they deserve the sacrament just as much as any other child, but I do really wonder how our response as a community should be. Certainly these men should be allowed in our church and should be welcome to listen to the liturgy of the word so they may be touched by Jesus, but they partook of the Eucharist. How do I respond like Jesus? I want to love them as Christ loves them, but what does that look like? I'm really struggling with how to process this and could really use some guidance, Daniel. Daniel, I think that's a great, great question. And so a few things, right, at the, at the moment of baptism, like what happens, right? What do we know about baptism? Well, certainly um, the child is giving grace, supernatural grace. Um, uh, the child is a necessary member of the body of Christ after baptism. Uh, the child receives charisms. Uh, the child receives uh, the washing away of original sin. Uh, th- so so many beautiful things happen. And the child is drawn into uh, a new relationship, a new indwelling of the Trinity. So many beautiful things happen, whether the child's parents are heterosexual or homosexual. Um, so what does the USCCB, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, ministry to persons with homosexual inclinations say about this particular topic that you are asking me about? Well, let's read what they say on page 21 of their guidelines for pastoral care. They state this, Baptism of children in the care of same-sex couples presents a serious 
pastoral concern. Nevertheless, the church does not refuse the sacrament of baptism to these children, but there must be a well-founded hope that the children will be brought up in the Catholic religion. In those cases where baptism is permitted, pastoral ministers should exercise prudential judgment when preparing baptismal ceremonies. Also, in preparing the baptismal record, a distinction should be made between the natural parents and the adopted parents. All right, so I think it would be important for us to highlight three things here, right? The document mentions Catholic faith, our religion. Um, The document uh, also mentions in it um, the the baptismal ceremony, the preparation for that ceremony, and uh, and the the, the record. Um, And so the first thing is a well-founded hope that their child would be brought up in the Catholic religion. So three things here. Uh, faith. In, can- in canon law, it says this, the Code of Canon Law teaches that for an infant to be baptized in the church, any infant, not just an infant of a homosexual couple, an infant of a heterosexual couple. All right, this is what the canon law says. There must be a founded hope that the infant will be brought up in the Catholic religion. So this includes church teachings. It includes um, the fact that they will be brought up in the sacramental life of the church after baptism and that they'll be brought up in the moral life of the church. So that's what the Catholic religion entails of right there. Church teaching, invitation to the sacramental life, and also morality, that they'll be brought up with the morals of the church. So first of all, church teaching. Um, Is there a well-founded hope that the children will be brought up to know the teachings of Jesus Christ? And the church will they be brought up to know the word of God, to know the catechism, to know the gift that the church is that Jesus Christ gave to us to help us in our walk toward eternity, or not? Is it just like a ceremony that they do because it's like, oh, it's just a family thing? We want to take cool pictures, um, or we want someone to recognize our marriage in a, in a, in a sense, right? Number two, invitation to the sacraments. Um, are th- are they going to plan to make sure that the child also then receives first communion? that the child receives first reconciliation, that the child also is prepared for the sacrament of confirmation, right? So will the child be brought up in a home where they will continue to be brought to the sacramental life of the church? The other one, here's the big one, is morals. So morally, will the child be brought up seeing the parents live a life that is an imitation of Christ's holy life? Will the parents live a life that is, follows the precepts of the church, that follows the teachings of the church? Or will the child be brought up seeing the parents, if it's like two dads, doing things that go against the word of God? And so I think sometimes this is where the church could get really creative. Because, you know, we want to baptize as many people as possible because baptism, First Peter chapter 3, verse 21, we know baptism saves us. Jesus Christ told the disciples to go and baptize all nations, so we don't want to ever not baptize somebody. So what I propose, this came to me in my prayer, for the morals question, right, um, is this. Is baptism prep could be a great invitation, a great invitation for the priest and for his pastoral team to share the joy of the Gospels, right? The joy of the Gospel with these parents. Um, if, if a married same-sex couple is coming to a priest, like this is a big deal. This is a great opportunity that the priest has to walk with them, to listen to their story, to pray with them, and to share the fullness of the teachings of Jesus Christ in his church 
with them. Jesus Christ mandates in the gospel that we go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the priest has the ability to make baptism prep unique, especially whenever there's a homosexual couple coming to him. So I would say this. I would say, look, don't just like automatically see a same-sex couple and say, oh, I can't do that. Or, or oh, I'm just going to baptize the baby and not worry about these other aspects, the, the, the morals. I'm not going to worry about the church teaching. I'm not going to worry about the sacraments. Like, no, keep all that in mind. Reverence all that. But think about being creative with your ministry to that particular person because God, if they come to you, that's the Holy Spirit's drawn them to, to our churches. So we have a responsibility to accompany them and walk with them well for their sanctification and for their transformation in the community. And so I would propose this, make baptism prep unique for each couple, each couple. So part of the couple's marriage prep can be receiving the charisma from the priest personally, one-on-one, and then also through a small group community of disciples who, if the priest has it in his parish, maybe who are already in the courage apostolate, who are men and women who experience same-sex attractions, who desire to be with other men and, uh, if they're a man, other men, if they're a woman, other women, but are choosing to live out chaste celibacy. And invite that couple to participate in a small group Bible study for six weeks with those members of the body of Christ who also experience same-sex attraction, but are living chaste celibate lives. The priest could also invite the parents during this season to be surrounded by joyful celibates of the kingdom and religious life. And so a lot of our dioceses have religious communities like the mission of Charity Sisters, Mother Teresa's Nuns, uh, National Dominican Sisters of Life. Like find an order of sisters in your community, in your diocese, and invite that couple to do some service days with those sisters so they can be in the presence of holy women who are celibate, who live in community, who oftentimes run orphanages and take care of babies and raise kids, um, but are not engaging in the sexual act, are not are not trying to do something that is, is, is not with regards, is not in accord with their state of life, right? Um, and so I think if the person is surrounded by other brothers and sisters who have same-sex attraction, and then also other brothers and sisters who are choosing celibacy for the kingdom and religious life and are living in community and sharing everything, that can have a great impact on somebody to realize, wait a minute, like, I don't have to have sex to be happy, right? I don't, I don't have to, like, engage in that act to be joyful. Priests can also set aside time um, for an hour to meet with the couple um, each week. And the first 30 minutes, invite the couple to sit with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And then spend 30 minutes after that unpacking the Eucharist and Sacred Scriptures. Um, that way that they're allowed to, to encounter God in a deeper way. And sometimes the rules of the church don't make sense unless we really help them to experience a relationship with Jesus. Um, and then when the priest meets with him, he can pray for the gift of tongues. That he can that way he can only ask God to give him the grace to say that which needs to be said, and and pray for the the parents to have the gift of interpretation of tongues, so they can only hear that which the Spirit of God wants them to hear. And in these meetings, the priest can eventually have difficult conversations, right, about the Ten Commandments um, and what that means for us about love and a real definition for that word, right. So, um, but I would say. It's difficult to have these 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 kind of meetings if it's just a one-time thing, you know? Like, this is something where you should invest in. Like, if God is allowing this person to come to your parish, then I would say you can uh, you can give them this new way, this third this third way of formation for baptism and prep. Um, potentially, your, your pastor did something like that for the couple, maybe, maybe not. Uh, certainly, the, the, the ceremony was at, at Mass, 
I'm not sure if that's what the USCCB is asking, right, in the document. I'm, to me, it sounds like the USCCB is being clear that we should exercise prudential judgment when preparing baptisms and ceremonies. And so if it is at Mass, um, I would never do it at Mass, honestly. It would have, you know, it would have to be a private ceremony. Um, but there, yeah, so I don't think that the pastor potentially, maybe he didn't follow that 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 policy uh, from the USCCB. And then as far as the baptism record, um, again, uh, it's just making sure that you don't uh, use the word mother and father to describe them. You just put parent because they're they're both of the same sex. So you put parent parent. Um, so uh, that's that's what can be done. Now, as far as your question, how do you respond like Jesus? I would propose you find out who the parents are and enter into an intentional relationship with them. Jesus was all about relationships. And I believe that he invites us to enter into relationships with all people so that we can help them become saints and so they can help us. This couple are members of the body of Christ and they have a gift to offer you as well. I don't know what that gift is, but they have a gift to offer you. St. Paul writes in Corinthians that we cannot say, I don't need you. Therefore, we need them just as much as they need us. Um, so certainly before you reach out to them, you should pray and fast for your encounter with them. Um, and and I, I, I promise you, I will I will join this praying and this fasting as well. Um, and then if the Lord permits, opportunity arises, try to become their friend and praise God. You know, certainly you have gifts to share with them. And in God's will, way, and time, you can share those gifts by his grace with them that can help them become saints. Um yeah, it's really good to 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 enter into relationships with people who are different from us, who think different from us, who speak and act different from us, because we can be a bridge for them to the Lord. But they also, in other ways, can be a bridge for us to go deeper with God ourselves. So I would just encourage you to respond by entering into a much deeper relationship with them. Um, yeah, and so uh, that's what I would say with regards to that. Let me know what you think. What are your thoughts? Hit me up at AskFatherJosh at EssentialPress.com and let me know. All right, next question comes in from Anonymous. Anonymous writes this, helping my family understand church teaching. First, I heard you speak at Houston, in Houston at Cafe Catholica. Yeah, shout out to Houston. I had such a blast. I had such a blast when I went out to Houston for Cafe Catholica. I got to have lunch with a lot of the young um, black Catholic adults um, before I spoke at the event, and they were just on fire for Jesus, and we laughed so much, and I just want to affirm their faith right now and affirm their community they're doing so many good things, and uh, yeah, I look, I look forward to collaborating with them in the future. Uh, so, but yeah, Cafe Catholica was awesome. I had a blast. That's a beautiful church, St. Michael's, and uh, the, the music was awesome, and uh, I'm so grateful for the invitation to come out there. It was, it, was, it was so much fun. Back to your question. I have to thank you because you spoke about focusing on God's mercy when it comes to our vices rather than focusing on our anxiety and why we're not conquering our sins. I've been struggling with my anxiety about the about this recently, and you helped me reorient my attention to the Lord rather than being distracted by Satan. Second, right before we got married, um, my husband is a Catholic convert, and he converted right before we got married. He comes from a completely non-religious family. I'm not sure what, if anything, they believe. So my husband struggles with some of the church teachings because it is so far from what he experienced for most of his life. He struggles in particular with Jesus' presence in the Eucharist and the teachings on sexuality. Every sexual act must be unitive and procreative. He also does not understand the big deal about skipping Mass occasionally, so I guess my question is two parts. One, how do I encourage my husband to embrace church teaching without lecturing him and making him feel inadequate? And two, 
How can I encourage my husband's family to be open to the Lord also without lecturing them? This is a great question, Anonymous. So again, I go back to what Father, what, oh, not Father, what Mark Hart said at a Life Team conference. Uh, Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. So I would encourage you to focus on trying to help your husband encounter Jesus first and foremost. First start with him, like help him to facilitate encounters for him to, to enter into a relationship with Jesus. In my experience, this is best done through small group Bible studies. Maybe offer to host one at your home as a couple for other couples. Y'all could host and another couple could lead. I think being around other men who are intentional disciples of Jesus Christ and sharing their faith openly can impact his relationship with God. And that might help him to fall in love with Jesus. Um, which once you fall in love with someone, then you begin to care about what they care about. So if I love Jesus, I'm going to care about Jesus's teachings. And so I would first encourage Bible studies. I've also seen retreats and conferences be helpful bridges for people to go deeper with Christ. Certainly, I had my conversion through a a retreat, a conference, Steubenville. Um, And so I think that the same thing could be applied to your husband. There's Acts retreats and Kairos retreats and Crescio and Christ Renews His Parish retreats. So try to find one of those adult retreats and get your husband going or going together. And then finally... Uh, when it comes to your family, uh, your extended family now, just share Jesus in normal conversations. Like whenever you're at their house, uh, they say, what did you do this weekend? If you went to Mass on Saturday Vigil, I'm uh, sorry, Saturday Anticipatory Mass, you could say like, you know, like, yeah, this weekend, uh, and I spent time with the family. We played together, cleaned the house, went to the baseball game, and then, um, and then I went to confession today right before the Anticipatory Mass. And gosh, I just got to be honest with you, before I went to confession, I was just feeling really burdened and it was so beautiful to receive God's mercy in such a tangible way. And I feel so joyful now. Um, and uh, what do y'all think about that? Have y'all ever heard about confession? What are your thoughts about that? Uh, I would love to tell you more about my experience or, or yeah, be just, be contagious, be contagious with Jesus. Just share Jesus in normal ways, right? Share him in normal ways and just insert his name and insert the teachings of the church and insert, yeah, I went to mass this Sunday and I heard this powerful homily, uh, and it just really, really hit home. It really inspired me. Uh, that Those things can just plant seeds to draw people to be open to God and His church. So I would encourage you to help your husband to get on a retreat, maybe host a Bible study, and then when you're with your family, extended family, just share Jesus in normal, everyday conversations. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to dive into our final question. Two thousand years ago, Jesus Christ chose corrupt, broken, imperfect, sinful men to be the foundation of his church. And because these broken, imperfect men chose to remain in relationship with Jesus, they became saints. And they were used by Jesus to transform hearts and minds two thousand years later. I invite you to check out my book, Broken and Blessed where you'll find practical tools to overcome habitual sin, to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and to walk with an imperfect church toward a perfect God who is calling all of us to perfection over time. To order the paperback book or audiobook, Broken and Blessed, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. 
All right, final question comes in from Todd. Todd says this, Father Josh, thank you so much for your podcast. I'm enjoying listening frequently. I'm new to the faith and currently in RCIA, and I will be baptized this Easter vigil. I'm really new to any faith. I was an atheist since around the age of 13. Unfortunately, I let people turn me off from faith, but had no love, turn me off from faith, including my own father, who claimed to be a man of faith, but had no love for me. I'm sorry to hear that. After God blessed me with my daughter four years ago, I felt a love that I knew had to come from somewhere greater than myself. Praise God. I began to study different religions and found myself coming to Catholicism through reason and not by faith. My family and I have been going to Mass for almost two years. Thanks be to God, I'll be able to take the Eucharist this Easter along with my wife. Oftentimes, I have an overwhelming feeling of guilt for decisions I've made as a non-believer and for denying God for so long. I know that God has forgiven me, but how do I manage this guilt? Thank you for your advice. I appreciate it, and your ministry is in my prayers. God bless. Yeah, Todd, uh, so this is a great question. Um, I would just, again, encourage you to focus your attention on Jesus. Fix your eyes on a crucifix. Read his scriptures, specifically in the gospel about the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, the good thief on the cross, Zechariah, tax collector. Listen, listen to Gregorian chant, listen to praise music, listen to gospel hymns. Fill your mind with Christ. Fill your imagination with the Jesus of the scriptures so you can see how Jesus Christ responded to other people to other people who lived lives of sin, who did things that they also regretted. Focus on how Jesus treated Peter over and over and over again. Todd, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The way he treated the people in the scriptures is the way he wants to treat you. But recognize, even if you do all this, you still might struggle. You still might struggle with with those feelings of guilt. And that might be a thorn in your side. Now, there are some commentators who suggest that St. Paul's struggle, his thorn in his side, that he begged God to to just take care of it for him, was the fact that he was living in guilt over and over again sometimes from that which he did. He praised God, and he thanked God, and he focused on God, but every now and then maybe he kept going back to, but what about all the people that I hurt? What about all the Christians I persecuted? So um, if that's the case for you, I will tell you what God told Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is enough for you. God's grace is enough. For Paul, God's grace is enough for him to take his eyes off of himself, off of navel-gazing, and focus it on Jesus Christ crucified. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Focus on Jesus Christ crucified in a a crucifix and, um, and dwell on those gospels. And a prayer that also might be helpful for you during this time is this. God, help me to see myself the way you see me. God, help me to love myself the way that you love me. God, help me to forgive myself the way that you forgive me. All right. So hopefully that is helpful for you, my brother. I will be praying for you to be able to remain fixed on the face of the beautiful face of Jesus. Now, that wraps up today's show. Before we go, I want to take us out in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, you are so beautiful. You are so beautiful, God. You desire us. You love us. You want us. 
Give us the grace that we need, God, to desire you, to love you more and more, so much so that we never want to take our eyes off of you, ever. We want to dwell in your face day and night, in this life, and forever in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed Mother and St. Joseph, pray for us, intercede for us, so that we may join you where you are with our God. We ask this prayer, Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, y'all, I cannot wait to continue to walk with you next week. Keep me in your prayers, and I'll be praying for you. And pray for my nasty little toe as well. (laughs) God bless.